0: This is Recode Media with Peter Kafka. That is me. Today we're going to talk about money and maybe some mergers with two really good merger reporters, Dan Premack from Axios, Ben Mullen from Wall Street Journal. Before we get started on this conversation, I just want to share an email that uh, that Ben wrote to me. Uh, in 2017, he was working at Pointer. He was an admirer of my journalism and he was looking how to I was trying to figure out how to break into the nyc media world and this is where i've been telling the story for a while and i've always thought that i was i uh, discouraged uh I, I i always thought that i encouraged ben to come to new york but it turns out i did not do that uh, my response to him was do you really want to cover media there are a lot of people covering media lots of other stuff to write about where you'd have the feel to yourself uh, so that was my advice to Ben, and luckily for Ben and everyone else, he did not follow it. He's now a kick-ass media reporter at the Wall Street Journal, <laughs> so I will try harder to dissuade future reporters from encroaching on my beat. Welcome, Ben. Welcome, Dan.
1: Thanks for us. Thanks for having us, Peter.
0: Um, I think everyone who listens to this podcast knows there's a lot of merger talk between digital media companies, uh, and they are also probably familiar with, the, with something called a SPAC, or they've heard about a SPAC, and the two things are intertwined. But I wanted to spend some time today explaining what's going on, why it's going on, and what we think might happen in the future. So, Dan, let me let me start with you because um, you cover mergers of all sorts. What what is going on in media specifically that has a bunch of these companies wanting to combine? Uh, obviously, it depends
2: on which which media companies you're talking about. But mm-hmm. you know, there are a large number of media "quote unquote" unicorns or near unicorns or digital media companies that are kind of getting a little bit long in the tooth to be independent, privately held companies, at least ones that took venture capital money, which most of them did. The venture capitalists think they're getting a little bit long in the tooth to be privately held venture capital companies solo. So there's kind of just a, you're kind of getting to the point where if this was any other industry, if this was enterprise software or biotech, you'd be hearing about mergers or maybe going public. That's just kind of where we're at with these companies. Be- because
0: the investors put in money five, seven years ago, and the investors want out. They want out, and we'll get into SPACs. And then a piece of this, yeah. of
2: course, is that the capital markets are just absolutely insane right now. So if you're going to get out, now's a pretty good time to do it.
0: Yeah, the answer to every deal right now is the, the markets are insane. So why not? Which we can go back to that. But just to be clear, I get that in venture world, um, you want to exit your 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 investments five to seven years if if they're doing really well, Right. Um, and the, the sort of traditional idea is, you know, a handful, small percentage of your investments will do really well. A lot of them will be written down to zero. A couple others will have a one or two X return, which is fine, but you don't really care. You know, there was a moment five, six years ago where people were unusually bullish about media startups and they were somehow get attached to Facebook. And that was the, that was, that was vice and my employer, Vox Media and Buzzfeed and then everyone's enthusiasm about that went away the last few years. Um, so presumably, the investors who put money into these companies aren't expecting giant returns at this point, are they? Really agitating to have exits?
2: Just because you're not expecting to get a 10x return doesn't mean you're not agitating for an exit, right? Because because your alternative, particularly if you're a site that's not making that's not making a profit, and some of them are, but but for the ones who aren't, if you're the venture capitalist, at some point you basically have to put in new money or find somebody else to put in new money. So even if all you're going to get is say a 1.2x, or even just get your principal back. You still want that. You'd rather have that than it go to zero.
0: Right. I mean, in some cases, right, Disney has already told investors they put a lot of money in device, and they said, that is now worth zero. Um, maybe we'll actually get some money back, but we don't expect anything here. Ben, to the to the idea of the, the media business in general, again, there was a lot of enthusiasm about it a few years ago and with some exceptions. Uh, Dan works at one of them. Uh, people are not very enthusiastic about media. It's sort of back where we used to be. Um, so are these mergers from... Is this just small companies trying to get a little bit bigger and hope that that works? Or or is there a more compelling story here for these mergers?
1: I think a lot of these companies are seeing the enthusiasm in the markets right now. And they realize that they need to get their top line number or their revenue number big enough so that they're attractive to one of these SPACs so that they can go public. So I think part of why we're seeing a bunch of this consolidation is... These tinier media companies know that they need to get bigger so that they can finally exit. I think that's one of the things we're seeing here. I think some of it is also that, to your point, legacy media has largely pivoted towards streaming. You know, a long time ago, uh, 2015, 2014, for a lot of these really big media companies, the TV companies invested because they saw these digital publishing companies as the new frontier and maybe how they were going to fix their problem of Dwindling affiliate fees, dwindling uh, TV advertising fees on a year-over-year basis, and
0: uh, and dwindling audiences. Right? The the yeah the pitch was Buzzfeed or Vox or Vice was going to help these high bound companies like NBC Universal and Fox figure out how to reach the elusive millennial.
1: Absolutely. And then I think all these CEOs saw that Netflix was getting valued uh, based on their direct-to-consumer subscribers at a rate that was kind of disconnected from, uh, you know, certainly the profits. Um, and everyone realized that was sort of the way they needed to go. So they pivoted and they did all these big mergers focused on either vertical integration, like Warner Media, AT&T, or um, focused mostly on getting bigger to build streaming services. I'm thinking there of like Viacom, CBS. Um, so I think that's kind of like the macro situation right now. And then I would just add that I think, you know, you've seen a lot of these big media companies, Discovery has digested scripts. Disney has digested 21 Century Fox, Um, uh, you know, uh, NBCU, Comcast has digested Sky. So their balance sheets are in a place where these companies could begin to make really big acquisitions again. And so I think the next year on the media beat is going to be a really exciting one.
0: So you think the big media guys will get bigger? Um, swallow. And then, but, but, but getting bigger could mean, in theory, it could mean buying a BuzzFeed, but it also, in theory, it could mean buying a Viacom CBS. Absolutely. Right? Or Discovery Scripts. Um, so let's, we, we did have some mergers in the last couple years, and those were sort of private companies merging with each other. So Vox, where I work, bought New York Magazine. We had a bunch of those. Um, what's the difference between those deals and the ones people are talking about now?
2: Uh, I mean, the ones people are talking about now, I think Ben kind of got to this, is that you're not so like, okay, so Vox with New York Magazine, right? That digital publisher buying a, at least legacy print publisher, even though obviously New York Magazine went online. I think what we're hearing about now, as Ben said, is, is largely being driven on the SPAC side, right? It, it's not, it, it's really, let's get scale. Let's get scale, not just for the sake of scale, but scale for the sake of being a public company. And 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 there's this theory, at least, that to be a publicly traded company... You should have top line revenues certainly of a hundred million dollars, but but most likely higher than that. Now, some SPACs have been buying, you know, air taxi companies that have zero dollars in revenue. Uh, so so that's not necessarily it doesn't always track, but at least when it comes to companies that have, you know, an operating business with products and customers, there's a feeling that you want and that scale will ultimately matter a bit, and particularly in terms of keeping the share price. Up, You know, you're, you're not the, the difference between, say, two media companies going public and two enterprise software companies. You're not expecting the same sort of growth. Right. You're not expecting, you know, 3x next year and 3x the next year, etc. You're expecting, hopefully, if it works right, steadier growth. And so the feeling is if the top line is bigger, that's going to make investors happier.
0: So let's talk. Let's discuss what a SPAC is. Special Acquisition Corporation or company. Uh, Acquisition
2: company, technically.
0: Acquisition company. So in the very old days, this would be something we'd call a reverse IPO, and it was something that penny stocks did, where you a shell company bought your company or vice versa, and and if you did it, everyone sort of, you know. Held their nose because it it stank and you ran away from it. Um, But that's essentially what's happening now. But now we have a mania for it. So, Dan, why don't you walk us through what a SPAC is and why we're talking about it now?
2: Yeah, as you said, these things are decades old. uh, Penny stocks, there have been some big ones though in the past. Uh, Burger King, years ago, Bill Ackman did a SPAC and brought Burger King public. Uh, Hostess went public via SPAC. So, the right, you know, Twinkie Maker, big companies. Uh, right now, but the way they basically work is you, uh, an investor or an investment firm decides they're going to form a SPAC and then they do an IPO for it. But the difference between a SPAC and a normal company going public is there is no company. There's no business model. There's no revenue. There's nothing. There is a promise that we are going to find a company or a couple companies to buy. And then once we find those to buy, so long as the shareholders sign off on it, we're then going to bring that public. You, you mentioned the co- the concept of a shell. It really is a shell. You you do an IPO for the shell, and then you find a company to kind of slide in. And whatever you've slid in, that's the living organism, and that's what the company ultimately becomes. And there's lots of you know kind of complicated parts to how it really works for investors, uh, but except to say investors do technically have veto power over whatever deal the SPAC manager picks, although they almost never exercise that. There's been a small handful of exceptions. And the other piece is there are so many more SPACs now than ever before. Uh, in the past uh, decade, usually you get maybe a dozen, 15, of them raised a year often around real estate or things like that well we're ha- we have hundreds already raised in 2021 uh you know we talked at the beginning about how the capital markets are insane yeah the capital markets are insane and everybody's raising a SPAC, it seems if for nothing else optionality
0: right so so let's, these are I sometimes refer to as blank check companies right if, That's right. if you're buying yeah. into a SPAC, you're saying here's some money go out and spend it on something and they, these things have prospectuses and they tell you what they're interested in and who works there. But they don't there. have
2: to stick to them. You could say we are raising a media spec, and then you could buy a spaceship company. There's no right. – like, you're not tied to that.
0: Right. And in theory, it's all going to work out. Why, why? So we'll talk about why people are creating the specs, and then why you'd want to use a spec. So it seems to me that if you're creating a spec now – the answer to why is why not? If literally if people are going to give you money and you will also be paid to put that money to work. And if it works out, you'll get a bonus there as well. There's, it seems like there's almost no downside to do it, which should set off a lot of alarm bells.
2: <laughs> there's a tiny, I mean, th- right. Look, there's a tiny bit of downside. If you're the SPAC sponsor, you do have to put some money up. If you usually have two years to find a company to buy and to complete an mm-hmm. acquisition. In theory, if you didn't find a company to buy and you had to wind the thing down, you'd be out a little bit of money, but like, and you'd, but again,
0: embarrassing. The, yeah. Look, the, the risk reward is pretty much on the reward side. Um, so again, that should alarm all of us, right? If if there's literally no concept, it seems like people are lining up to get free money from people who are giving them free money. And that doesn't seem like it's ever going to Although
2: Although it's, no, it's not that much different, though, than a venture capital fund or a private equity fund in that sense, right? Like you, you raise a blind pool of cash to invest in mm-hmm. something uh, and you get paid on day one just for the privilege of holding the money.
0: And if you are one of these companies that is looking to go public via a SPAC, um, why do that as opposed to a traditional IPO or a direct listing like Spotify has done? What are the pros and cons of going that route? Uh,
2: Two big pros. Uh, One is it is faster, uh, which doesn't matter that much, but slightly faster. Uh, The process just works a little quicker. The bigger one, particularly for more kind of speculative companies, which is, again, why you're seeing a lot of spaceship airplane companies, even why some media companies are talking about it, I think, uh, you are... As of current regulations, and the SEC is already talking about changing this, but at this moment, you are allowed to provide more future guidance, guidance further out about how your business is going to perform without having any liability problems than you would if you did an IPO or a direct listing. So again, if you're a spaceship company and you have no revenue, you can talk about how you're going to do in 2025, 2026. If you did a traditional IPO, you can't. You're just not allowed to do that without being liable if you fail.
0: OK, that doesn't sound terribly convincing. So Ben, why does a, a BuzzFeed, uh, which is reportedly talking to a SPAC, um, did you write that story? I think uh, Jessica, no. no, it was Lucas Jessica, Shaw who
1: broke the name Lucas of the Lucas
0: Shaw wrote that one. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, apologies to the other excellent other media reporters who are not on this podcast. <laughs> uh, Lucas Shaw, who has been on a bunch. Jessica Tunkel, who had a scoop this morning about Vice talking to a SPAC. It seems like everyone is talking to a SPAC. If you're if you're Vice, if you're BuzzFeed, if you're big enough, you've got a h- couple hundred million dollars or more in annual revenue. What is appealing about a SPAC as opposed to a traditional IPO?
1: Well, I think you said it earlier. Like Disney has told the street, has told everyone that uh, you know their equity in the company is essentially valueless, and so that kind of gives you a benchmark of strategic investor interest in these digital media companies. So I think some of it is, you know, a year ago, two years ago, these companies were looking at really tough conversations, a lot of them, with strategic investors and, like, why would these companies want to take them public at the, frankly, very high valuations from their last funding rounds? Like, I think Vice's last funding round with TPG valued them at something like $5 billion or north of $5 billion. And yep. so... Um, you know, if if you're a strategic investor and your priorities are focused on streaming, then it's harder for you to, you know, make this your priority. Whereas nowadays, there's a ton of capital chasing these private deals. You know, why wouldn't you avail yourself of all this cash?
2: And can I, can uh, I just add to what Ben said? Like when we talk about uh, media company X talking with a SPAC, that's true often, but it's also the SPACs are talking with the media company. In other words, there are so many SPACs I don't know any later stage private company, whether they be in media or any other industry right now, who isn't getting called constantly from SPACs. In fact, there was a banker who told me the other day that the best part of his business is the companies who have no interest in selling their business are hiring him right now because they basically just need someone to take the phone calls.
0: (laughs) So... I, again, I'm. Um, it's it's my job to be skeptical, but I'm 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 a little bit worried that you guys are saying, look, the strategic people who understand these businesses don't want to be in it, or are certainly skeptical about valuations. There's a ton of money flooding in the market, so why wouldn't you take it? It seems like there's a problem if you're the if you're the investor who wants to bet on Vice when Disney doesn't. That should be a flag. But I guess my other question is. Okay, if you're if you're if I understand that if you're company X, Y, or Z, you might wanna take the chance to take the money and, and go public and but you still have to operate a company. You still have to run a public company. Um, if these companies weren't attractive enough to go public last year or two years ago what makes them attractive public companies a year or two from now after they have spacked and they have to do quarterly numbers and you know the media business is still going to be a hard media business what is what does this look like a couple years from now if these companies all go public
2: I'll ask you the opposite, Peter. Uh, what, what, which is, which is the companies could be stay private and become less valuable, right? Like th- this is again, I, I don't think this is as much a media story as just like a general capital markets quasi tech story, right? Like th- it's entirely possible uh, that that you could be Vice or BuzzFeed or any of these companies, and over the next four years, your revenue could double, your profits could double. You could, on paper, look like a much healthier company and be worth less. It's just entirely, like, I mean, the the way things are valued right now, it's possible. There's value to, quote, striking when the iron's hot, and I think that's appealing to a lot of people. There's also, though, I, I should note, with the SPACs that originally there is often some liquidity uh, for either existing investors or shareholders, you know, employees or whatever. There's something often called a pipe which comes into these deals, which is outside funding for kind of the Fidelities and the Black Rocks of the world. And some of that money usually gets used to help people partially cash out on day one so that some of the early investors don't even have to wait for the stock price to begin trading. They, they get some cash immediately.
0: Speaking of cashing out, I've I've got I've gotten calls from a, a, a calls and emails from from people who work at some of these companies. They're not they're not investors, but they work there or have worked there. They own options or, or shares. Uh, is this good for them? Are they getting diluted? Is there a better version of this? Is there any downside for for an employee or former employee who owns stock in one of these companies?
1: I think it depends on the valuation, right, Dan? Like if if a SPAC yeah. says they're going to buy the company for like you know, the company was last valued at $5 billion and the SPAC's going to do a $10 billion deal, then I think that's good for the, you know, shareholders, like especially like employees who may or may not have preferred stock. But if the, if the value is low and say like TPG, in the case of Vice, like if the value is way low, I'm just speaking hypothetically because I don't have the reporting on it, but hypothetically, if the value was low on Vice from the SPAC, the offering... And you have TPG sitting at the top of the preference stack, so they get paid out first, um, then I think that's really potentially not great news for uh, people who just got some equity from working at the company in its early days. However, if the offer is really great, then, um, yeah, you're probably set to have a pretty good payday, right?
2: Yeah and and ult- I mean ultimately for those people with the options I mean there again there might be some liquidity on day 1 but ultimately now it's a public stock the 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 good or the bad for those employees is the thing's going to trade and and after that first day you know the thing starts trading at 12 bucks a share now you bank you know benchmark that against whatever you're paying for the stock and after that, it's not in, you know, the company can no longer really determine its price and, out, you know, private investors aren't determining it. It's whatever the market says. If the stock, you know, Peter, you were saying if the stock goes down over the next two years and you held it. Well, that's bad. If it goes up mm-hmm. and then you sell it, then it's good.
0: Do we connect all of this to the same thing that, that pushed up GameStop? I mean, that GameStop has a particular story earlier in the year, but saw Viacom and discovery, all all kinds of stocks. And it's not all media, right? All kinds of of publicly traded companies with weird ass valuations and stock swings over the last year. Is this all just a function? Is this all the same thing? Just there's a swirl of money going in and it ends up in odd corners and and there isn't a rationale for why any business is, is up or down on any given day?
2: It's not like GameStop, and that these things aren't being driven by, you know, by Reddit traders per se. But the Mm -hmm. second part, yeah, it's the Fed has really loose monetary policy, and everything is worth a lot more today than it was a year ago. Not necessarily because it deserves to be.
0: We're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back with Dan and Ben. And now we're back. Okay, so we've seen how this plays out with housing and dot com stocks. So um, I'm going to. I'm going to remain a little worried and skeptical. But let's um, let's talk about some specifics, and we'll make it easy uh, and give Dan a break right now and let Ben talk about a story he wrote last week about Dan's company, Axios, um, doing some kind of deal with The Athletic. What's the rationale for that one, Ben?
1: Um, I've been told that the rationale for that perspective deal is you have Axios, which is, um, you know, they they do an excellent job. They publish you know, great scoops on a regular basis. Um, Primarily an advertising business, you have The Athletic, which is basically, you know, rated the best beat reporters from newspapers across the U.S. and internationally, and they have a big subscription business. So the idea is that if you combine a premium advertising business with a really upscale subscription business, um, and then maybe you go and you get a, you know, ab 2 b publisher, like a really high quality, like, you know, company that you can sell enterprise subscriptions to like, a, you know, like an Intel or something like that. Then you have like a compelling potentially company with a big enough top line number that's interested, that's interesting to the street. Um, and it's got sort of like enough diversification of revenue that it's attractive to a lot of different kinds of investors.
0: Now you published that with a 7 a.m. dateline on Friday, which which makes me think that maybe uh, um, there's some sausage making going on in the background of the companies participated in that story. Do you do you think? Um, what's your sense of how far along that deal is? Um, with the caveat that. In deal reporting, we often hear there's a standard phrase about you know early talks or sometimes they'll say they're in advanced talks but the deal could still fall through and that usually means the deal's being announced tomorrow um, what's your sense of, of how far along Dan is to being submerged with uh, merged with the athletic
1: um I think in the story I said that talks were still early um, I haven't heard anything since that story published that indicates things have progressed farther than that.
0: Yeah. And by the way, I think a lot of people would like to buy The Athletic. So um, we shall see. Dan, what do you want to add about your employer and and your merger uh, prospects?
2: You see, I I think Ben was just led astray. See, I I was negotiating a new contract with Vande and he said, what do you want? And I said, I want Patriots tickets. And he said, I don't have (laughs) Patriots tickets. And I said, well, how would you go get them? He said, well, let me call a guy. So he calls a guy because he knows them. And then it gets to Ben. And I think it's just all (laughs) misunderstanding, but I could be wrong.
0: Don't quote right. me. I might. All be- right, Ben. You may have to walk that story <laughs> yeah. back. So let's let's talk about the um. And those and those are two companies that are sort of the rare bright spots. They have good stories. They're relatively new companies. Um, let's talk about the the big Buzzfeeds and Vices, which were sort of those companies a few years ago, had very big valuations, have come down. Um, they are all talking with SPACs. Um And is there a difference between, um. I mean, some of these specs are predicated on the idea that, that you will go buy other companies as you become public, and some are just, we're going to take you public this way. Does that matter? Does, does that distinction matter, Dan?
2: Uh, well, I mean, again, as I said, you can you can say whatever you want in a SPAC prospectus and then not pay attention to it uh, when you ultimately do the deal. Because again, shareholders have to approve or mm-hmm. deny it. Uh, yeah, cause I, there, but there's two different theses, right? That you hear this in, in media and other things, you know, there's some roll-up ideas kind of like in the health and beauty space, et cetera. Yeah, they're, they're different. Like one is we want this management team, we want this business with this business model and, and we're going to bring it public and it's going to be called this thing. And then the other is more we're looking to create... Either, either we think there's two things that are very synergistic with each other, but in general, we're trying to create more of a holding company sort of model, quasi conglomerate sort of model for things that are similar to each other. You know, obviously with some CEO, but you know, kind of with indiv- independent business lines. They're, they're just different different business strategies. Essentially. There is
0: there is one that's out in the market. Uh, it's a Group Nine, uh, which is the digital business that uh, Ben Lair uh, had sort of built up over the years. Thrillist, Dodo, companies like that, kind of half sold it to Discovery so the and they say in their prospectus this deal we have to buy another company and then once we do it we'll merge it with That one's group unusual. Nine. That one's yeah.
2: unusual because it's taught it's basically group 9 sponsoring SPAC to buy group 9. That one is uh, look when it hap- when they came out with it it was there was a lot of coverage of it kind of in in the financial trade press just because that was so unusual
0: the the unusual part was that it's the, the the sort of the the sponsor the the ownership company trying to sponsor the SPAC.
2: Yeah, that doesn't happen. Like I mean like it would be like Axios saying we are we're raising a SPAC, raise it and the goal of our SPAC is to buy ourselves. It's and and then merge it with something else. That it's unusual.
0: It's I mean it seems as logical as any other SPAC though, right? The only the one thing you would argue, I think, with
2: another SPAC is, is that there's some third party validation, right? Somebody else wants to buy, you know, there's some manager, whoever it is, who wants to buy BuzzFeed, who wants to mm-hmm. buy Axios, who wants to buy whatever. In this case, it's Group 9 wants to buy Group 9. Well, of course, Group 9 thinks Group nine's a good business. It's it, it's business. I'm not saying it's not a good business, but like, they're not a disinterested party.
0: Ben, that SPAC has been out there for a couple months, which is not very long. On the other hand, um, presumably they have talked to everyone about doing a deal. If they haven't bought a company or announced they're buying a company, should we take that as a sign of something?
1: Um, I think, to your point, they're probably just kicking the tires on a lot of different things. Um, if they haven't found a target yet, maybe it means that they're just taking their time to find something that they think is really good. Um, it's also possible that um, that there's been some reluctance from the sell side as well. Um, it's it's hard to know why they haven't announced something yet. It could just be they haven't zeroed in on something that they think is, is worth taking public.
2: As, it's also worth noting with SPACs, legally speaking, you're not supposed to start uh, searching for targets or having conversations with potential acquired companies until you've actually priced the IPO. The speculation is that that rule is broken all the time, but in yep. general, that's the rule. So, so it's been, as you say, you know, it's been a couple months technically since they've been it, able to have these yeah. conversations.
0: And to be clear, like Ben Lehr and Group Nine were talking to BuzzFeed for a while about doing a deal there. So it's not like these guys haven't taught, and they're generally guys have haven't talked to each other for quite some time. It's just now there's a mechanism to make that faster. Um, we talked about Athletic and Axios. Anyone else in, in the media spec world that we should be paying attention to?
1: I think that to your point group 9 is like I don't know what they're going to do but I think that one's interesting. Um just today I heard that um there's a lot of excitement around uh, this company called Tastemade um which is like uh, um you know they do a lot of like um shareable uh videos around food. Um they're like
0: they were in that they were in that 2015 class of viral digital video millennially upstart. Totally.
1: Yeah. And they do the, like the tiny kitchen, uh, videos, which are really fun. Um, so I think, um, like they could be, they could be a candidate. Um, yeah. And I I don't, I, I guess, um, you know, Vox media, your employer hasn't said yet, I don't think, um, where, what they're going to do. Um, and it's, I mean, we've mentioned Buzzfeed, we've mentioned vice, we've mentioned group nine. Um, they're the only other, like, Uh, they're, they're the company that is most often mentioned in, in conversation with those other companies. So it will be interesting to see, um, what Vox Media does.
0: What do you think my employer is going to do?
1: I think that they have a lot of optionality. I mean, I think we've reported that Vox Media, uh, has turned a profit. I think we've reported that they have cash in the bank. So I think that they're approaching these conversations probably from a position of relative strength where they don't have to do a deal if they don't want to do a deal. Um, That's just my assessment based on reading the tea leaves that I've seen reported.
0: That sounds pretty promising. And uh, Jim Bankoff sometimes listens to this. So there you go, Jim. (laughs) ben says it's ben says it's good um while we're here before i let you go i want to talk about some upstarts that aren't spacking yet because they're too early but they're supposed to be disrupting all of our businesses uh cameo that lets uh, uh faded celebrities uh deliver birthday messages for a few seconds which i'm still baffled as a business uh and then clubhouse and substack uh the last two have raised big piles of money recently um, Clubhouse Clubhouse raised theirs a little while ago, and Substack just did a, a, a raise. They're both also tied into Andreessen Horowitz, the Silicon Valley uh, VC firm that says they hate media but spends a lot of time engaging with media to tell them how much they hate us. Um, what do we think of those companies as, as future of media companies? Ben, you want to you want to chime in? I know Dan has thoughts. Well,
1: I was going to say I haven't seen a revenue number for Substack reported anywhere. I think they've been valued at uh what was it you said Peter it was like more than half half a million was, half a billion dollars It was
0: 6, six 650 million per Dan So
1: yeah that was a, yeah that was a great scoop um and I haven't I haven't seen enough like financials to understand how that valuation could be justified and I assume I mean obviously they've said something to Andreessen Horowitz that's convinced them that they deserve to be valued at um, what I assume is a pretty high multiple. Um, Dan, do you have any idea like what their pitch was to investors?
2: I think it was the other way. I think Andreessen pitched themselves to Substack. Like if you look at both the clubhouse and the Substack rounds, Andreessen's an existing investor in both companies. They come in and lead the new rounds and do almost all of it. Like with both clubhouse and Substack, they're almost all the money in both of those deals. It seems that Andreessen Horowitz just really, I I don't know, so you're right, I don't know the the fundamentals, I don't know the numbers and how somebody on the back of the envelope does the math, but it was the same partner at Andreessen that did both those deals. I think they just want to own those deals. And I think in their minds, they're viewing these, not that they're going to get the same multiple as WhatsApp, but if you look years ago. Uh, Sequoia Capital didn't let anybody else basically invest in WhatsApp. They basically overpaid at the time so that no other investor could get in and take, you know, money off the table or or share off the table. It seems like Andreessen's doing the same thing here.
0: Yeah. I mean, it used to be suspect, right? If 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 the same investor led the new round, you'd say that, oh, you couldn't get any new money in there. That might be different this time. I mean, I do think the the one obvious thing about Substack and Clubhouse is attractive media investments is they're media companies where you don't have to pay for the most part, to, to create media. You get the users to do it. We all know that model. It scales. They can call themselves platforms or, or networks or whatever they want. Um, and you know, people like you and me are going to go on Clubhouse or, or create our own Substack newsletter. And these things, it solves the scale problem that traditional investors always have with media, which is it costs money to make a podcast. Not a lot of money, but some money. Okay, so when does this froth continue indefinitely? What brings the party to a halt? Is this something where the Fed could raise rates and all of a sudden all this goes away? Down?
2: Yeah, it's it, the Fed. The the you know our our markets coverage. People keep just writing that you know the Fed is everything. You know for you know you you guys were all concerned about who was going to win the election, Biden or Trump? No, no, no. The Fed. The Fed is what matters when it comes to this part of it. Yeah. And look, if there actually is inflation and and economists are battling right now over whether we are actually about to see significant inflation or not. But yeah, if the Fed starts to raise rates, then then the markets will panic. But you're you're seeing what's happened with the markets You know, outside of a little bit of a tech correction recently. They're not panicked. Um, They're not too worried about it yet. Uh, Everything is still kind of up and to the right.
0: So if money stays cheap, we keep having versions of these conversations.
2: Well, of course you do, because why why wouldn't you? If you're a CEO of almost any company and you're being at least a banker is whispering in your ear a price that not only is much higher than what you thought your business would be worth now... You're also in the back of your mind thinking of where you were a year ago right now when what you were really thinking was your entire business might collapse, right? Because either because there was no more advertisers or there was no more like, right, we were entering a pandemic. Like I think every media company looked at that and thought we might not make it to Christmas. And now you're talking about a higher valuation. Of course, you're going to be attracted to it and be having those talks.
0: I guess I still feel very slow and stuck in the mud because your business hasn't changed that much. Maybe it's in a better place than it was a year ago or two years ago, but it's not fundamentally different. Um, so you're, you're, you're valuing the same, bit. you're, 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 the actual business hasn't changed.
2: It depends on the business, obviously, right? Like the ad market, generally speaking, has been pretty strong last year, right? In part because corporate America did really well last year and, and kind of the underlings and the car dealerships, et cetera, you know, the, the, while the real economy and the, you know, average worker didn't do great last year. And there was obviously a lot of layoffs in certain sectors, like hospitality got crushed. The economy in general did well. So, you know, so ad spend didn't fall off a cliff. So, so you could argue that if you survived the hell of 2020, then you should continue to be on a glide path up for your underlying business for the next year. But no, you're right. In in general, valuations are up across the across the board. Your house is worth more now than it was a year ago. Your house is the same house. It's worth more.
0: That's good for me. Ben, you're going to be occupied for the next year, writing deal stories, <laughs> scooping me? Fingers crossed. Okay, good. Dan, Ben, thank you. Other, other media reporters, thank you. We'll have you on soon. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Thanks Peter. Thanks again to Dan. Thanks again to Ben, who both kick my ass on a recurring basis. And in addition to that, Dan also produces a really kick-ass podcast. It's Axios Recap. It's kind of like this one. If you took out all the ums and ahs and digressions and and, uh, meanderings, kind of like this thing I'm doing right now, it just gets really good guests, asks some good questions, and then you're in and out. It's very Axios. It's very Dan. You should go listen to it. Thanks again to Jelani who is producing and editing the show today, doing double duty. Thanks again to our sponsors. You know why we love sponsors? They they give us money so we can make this thing for you. And thanks again to you guys. You're great. You tell people about the show. You tell me about that you like the show. That's all great. In return, something coming your way, um, an extra good edition of this podcast. I think, I hope, I can't promise it, but I think you're going to get it. Um, So stay tuned. See you soon.